She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. You guys, I'm so excited to be doing some short clips each day with some of the health and fasting questions that you guys ask us all the time. These are going to be very short episodes answering very specific questions. Most of the time we have long episodes with one guest, but now I'm going to be answering some of your short individual questions. Enjoy. I'm super excited to introduce our next guest. It is Jen Stevens, and she's going to be talking all about intermittent fasting, and she is just the intermittent fasting wizard. She has an intermittent <laughs> fasting podcast. She's got so many other things. Jen, tell us all the things that you're doing with intermittent fasting and how long you've personally been doing IF. Okay. I could talk about that for a long time. I actually first started dabbling with intermittent fasting in 2009, but I never made it stick from 2009 to 2014 because I thought of it as a diet that you would start and stop. And so I was never very successful and it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Then in 2014, um, I was 210 pounds. So I was officially obese. And then I was like, you know, this is it. I've got to do it. I'd been, you know, going from diet to diet and I just said, okay, intermittent fasting is going to be my answer. I'm going to tweak it till it works for me. And I never looked back and I lost over 80 pounds and have been maintaining that effortlessly ever since. And so basically, you know, I was an elementary teacher for 28 years and my passion is teaching people about things. So in that light, I started, you know, one small Facebook support group in 2015 for me and my friends that has now grown into, well, I have more than three, but three main Facebook support groups with over a quarter of a million combined members from all around the world. And, you know, having the support community led me to write my first book, Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. Um, which has been a number one bestseller in the weight loss category on Amazon. And then um, I also had the opportunity to co-host a podcast with Melanie Avalon, the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, which we started in mid-2017. And we've been producing a weekly episode ever since. And then last year, well, in 2018, um, I started my own solo podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories. And every week I talk to an intermittent faster from around the world who shares how intermittent fasting has impacted their lives or their life. So, you know, I'm pretty much intermittent fasting 24-7 <laughs> because awesome. Facebook never sleeps. So, yes. So, uh, podcasts, books. I have a new book coming out in 2020 called Fast, Feast, Repeat. And unlike my first few books, which were self-published, this one is being published by St. Martin's of Macmillan. So, it's available for pre-order now. Awesome. So exciting. Well, we're going to talk about a very controversial topic because I feel like people are on different spectrums of things. And we're going to talk about clean fasting versus dirty fasting. And so for people who don't know what clean fasting is, uh, kind of a definition would be clean fasting is where you create a fasting opportunity where no insulin spike occurs. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I want you to talk about it practically what do you, when real practical terms, what is a clean fast versus a dirty fast for you? Well, I will say that, um, I don't find it to be controversial at all when you study the science of it. Once you understand what our goals are in the fasted state and why we're fasting, 
you would never want to dirty fast. I actually don't think dirty fasting is a thing. Um, you know, obviously, we like to think in opposites. If there's something called a clean fast, there must be something called a dirty fast. But I actually think that you're either fasting clean or you're not really fasting. Um, that's how important that I think it is. Now, I want to backtrack to when I first started with intermittent fasting. Back then, there were very few resources and very little science. At least it wasn't out there and accessible to the average person. So we really all were pretty much talking about how intermittent fasting was just a way to lower your caloric intake because you were eating in a shorter eating window or perhaps you were doing 5-2 or alternate daily fasting. But all of the chatter about it was you're eating less food in a small window. It's all about, you know, the calories, calories in, calories out. And then a book came out in 2016 that really taught us, hmm, it's not just about the calories. And that was Dr. Jason Fung's book, The Obesity Code. And when I read that book, it really changed the way I viewed fasting. And we understood that fasting was so much more than just because you were eating less food. It's, it's got a lot of metabolic and hormonal effects. But in order to access the effect, you know, the positive benefits that you're looking for, you need to make sure that you're actually fasting. So I like to think of it, you know, with three, three things that we're trying to accomplish during the fast. First of all, we're trying to keep insulin low. And insulin is, you know, the, the key to whether we're burning fat or storing fat, you know, um, Insulin in the, the medical literature is referred to as anti-lipolytic. That means that it's anti-fat burning. So if you have high levels of insulin, it's going to be very hard for you to access your stored body fat. So you want to have low levels of insulin. So we keep insulin low by not having our brain think that food is incoming. You know, there's plenty of research out there that shows that you know, the way our brains work, when our, our brain perceives that food is incoming, it releases insulin in response for the food that's coming so it can deal with the higher blood sugar that's going to occur. That's literally what insulin does for us. So if you're, um, you know, having like say a diet soda, your brain says, ooh, something sweet is coming in. And our brains don't understand artificial sweeteners and that it has zero calories. And so our brain thinks, ooh, we're having sugar. And so um, we have the cephalic phase insulin response and our brains release insulin in response and that will keep us from tapping into our stored body fat. It also will cause our body to lower our blood glucose levels because that's what insulin does as well. And it may make you shaky or, you know, you're now in a low blood sugar state. So we don't want to do anything that causes our body to release insulin during the fast. So we avoid flavored things, you know, you, you know all those water enhancers. You know, people are like, I can't drink water plain. I, I need the taste. Well, you don't need the taste. Your brain, you know, is constantly thinking that you're having, you know, fruit beverages or it doesn't understand that this is a zero calorie something that you're having. So to keep insulin low, you want to stick to plain water, plain sparkling water, no added flavors or sweeteners, black tea, green tea, black coffee, because a bitter flavor does not cause our brain to think food's incoming. Bitter is one of those flavors our brain does not associate with needing insulin. So that's why, you know, some people are like, well, you know, you say to avoid flavors, bitter flavor is the one that, that doesn't seem to cause a problem. So plain water, plain tea, black coffee, those are all fine. So I said there were three things we wanted to make sure to accomplish in the fasted state. The first is keeping insulin low. The second is we want to access our stored fat for fuel. And so we avoid ingesting 
external energy sources during the fast. You know, there's a very famous coffee concoction that a lot of people like to talk about, including during the fast that includes things such as MCT oil or, you know, cream or butter. And all of those are actually fuel sources for your body. So if you're ingesting all those foods, you're not fasting, you're taking in energy. So that would also not be part of a clean fast. We want to access our stored fat for fuel, which gets us into the state of ketosis. And even though, you know, putting MCT oil in your coffee may, your, your body may make ketones for that MCT oil, it's not at that time making ketones from your stored body fat, which is really what we're looking for. We want to access our stored body fat. And the third thing we want to keep in mind when we're fasting is we want to increase autophagy. You know, autophagy was um, a big subject of conversation starting in 2016 after the Nobel Prize in Medicine um, was awarded based on autophagy research. And it increases during the fasted state. And what turns off autophagy? protein. So if you're ingesting protein during the fast, then that's going to stop autophagy. And so things that some people might think are, you know, okay to include like bone broth or collagen, those are going to stop autophagy. So if your goal is increased autophagy, you wouldn't want to have any of those things. And really all of those things are still what you would think of if you thought only it was the calories. You know, if it's only the calories, it doesn't matter if you're having diet soda. If it's only the calories, it doesn't matter if you're having bone broth. If it's only the calories, it doesn't matter, um, you know, if you're drinking a fruity flavored tea. Of course, mm -hmm. if it's only the calories, you would not want to add fat to your coffee, but <laughs> yeah. that's not a good idea either way. But we know it's not only the calories. So I think the clean fast is really it's really the key to, to making this work as a lifestyle because prior to reading the obesity code, I was a heavy stevia user in my, in my coffee. I would add stevia, I would add cinnamon and fasting was very difficult. Every day I white knuckled, knuckled it until it was time for my eating window. And I just thought, well, of course it's hard. Fasting is hard. I'm not eating. Once I read the obesity code and realized, Oh, <laughs> I need to keep my insulin low. It's like a switch was flipped. So it, it changed everything I never had to struggle with, with the fast anymore. It became so much easier. So I have something that I like to call the clean fast challenge. And for anyone who thinks that, you know, like for example, gum works for you or some Devia works for you or diet sodas work for you or a little cream works for you or, you know, this fruity flavored tea works for you. If you think those things work for you, I challenge you to give them up for one month. You can give me a month, one month, Take those things out of your fast, stick to plain water, plain sparkling water, black coffee, black tea, nothing added, plain green tea. In a month, you'll see what I'm talking about. Try whatever it is you thought worked for you. See how it feels. You will know the difference. You will not go back. Trust me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And for listeners who, I want to talk about autophagy for just a second, because okay. for listeners who don't know what that is, um, you know, autophagy is, a, is just the body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order right. to regenerate new, healthier cells coming in. And the word auto means self and phagy means eat. So the literal meaning of autophagy is self-eating, like it's right. going in and self-eating. And so that's why when you're giving your body protein, Protein, it's it's gonna eat that first right it doesn't or, need to recycle anything it's got some <laughs> yes yeah. so I love that well I'm gonna play devil's advocate for just okay. a second and um, I'm going to you know 
obviously, you know, with my podcast, I would say, honestly, the number one question that kind of comes in, you know, when people are emailing in is they're like, you know, you know, maybe I did an episode on clean fasting or someone talked about it and they're like, you know, my biggest problem is they say, you know, I love coffee and I have to have coffee in the morning. And they're like, really, you know, is 20 calories or 40 calories of coffee creamer going to hurt my fast? And wouldn't it be better? This is what they say. Wouldn't it be better for me to start with at least starting with that and then, you know, trying to work my way up to that than not doing it? Because they kind of are like, if I'm, if I'm going to have to give up my coffee with cream, then I'm just not going to do it. How would you answer that? That's a great question. And really, I don't think it's better to do it that way than to not do it at all. And here's why. You know, we know based on research that low-calorie dieting has – you know, bad effects for our bodies. You know, we've the, the research came out a few years ago about the biggest loser. You remember the biggest loser study? It showed that the low calorie dieting that they did actually slowed their metabolic rates over time. And then it was really hard for them to recover after that. Well, with fasting, when we're fasting clean, our bodies, as we said, our, our insulin goes down, we're able to access our fat stores for fuel. So our bodies have no need, no reason to downregulate our metabolism our metabolic rate. We're just, we're actually ramping up our metabolism during the fast because there's plenty of fuel stored on your body. But that little bit of creamer that you're having, it's, it's raising your insulin because it's sweet. You're not going to be able to access your fat stores as effectively. And so you're, in essence, you are missing out on those metabolic and hormonal benefits of the clean fast. And so you're low calorie dieting and you're not fasting. That is the whole difference. So we actually see people who have been what some people call dirty fasting, you know, as, as we said earlier, that I don't, I don't like that term at all, but it, people who have been dirty fasting for a long period of time and then they switch to the clean fast, they actually have to adjust all over again because you really have not been fasting and so you're likely not fat adapted. You're not, um, you just really have to go through that whole adjustment period again. So I'm a believer in ripping off that Band-Aid because your taste buds can change. You know, I'm sitting here with my cup of black coffee, and um, I haven't had to give up coffee. I still drink it, but my taste buds have adapted to the black coffee, and it will happen. You're not going to die. I love that. I love that. That, that. that is the biggest thing, and, and I will say this. So I think the biggest thing people have to do is really change their mindset because I will tell you, probably – it's been a long time now. I don't know, six, 10 years ago, however long, I used to never be able to have a cup of tea unless it was sweet tea. Right. Now, finally, one day I was just like, I'm just going to, I think I got an unsweetened tea or something happened. I don't know. And I just started drinking unsweetened tea. And now if you gave me a glass of sweet tea, I couldn't drink it. So it's like, how did that happen? That at one point I went from like, I could not drink a cup of sweet tea if you gave it to me. And then, and there's people I've heard that have said the same thing about coffee where they've said, I can tell you one thing. The one thing I always said was no way I could never, ever drink black coffee. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Now I just, I just did it. Yeah. And now, I can't even imagine going back. Talk about that for just a second. Well, our taste buds do change over time. I, I can't remember the study off the top of my head, but I, I read a study about how our taste buds actually change over. Like they're different. Like the taste buds you have now are not the taste buds you had however long ago. So you actually 
change them by exposing them to, to different foods. So for example, I used to be a really picky eater and bitter flavors in general. I couldn't tolerate things like Brussels sprouts, for example, I would, couldn't eat any of those foods and beets. <laughs> and so I believe I have changed my palate and like, I don't think rewired isn't the right word, but I've changed my taste buds to the degree that I now can eat all sorts of foods. I can drink the black coffee. I can eat the Brussels sprouts. I'm a completely different eater than I was before. And I really think the black coffee opened up my palate. So, you know, if you're somebody who always adds stuff to your water to make it taste different and you're having the little bit of coffee with your creamer and you're, um, you know, you can't tolerate the, the taste of things that aren't sweet, you can change your taste buds. You can retrain them to be, be accepting of the bitter flavors. And I know it sounds crazy and you're not going to like it at first. <laughs> you know, when I first read the obesity code and I said, well, that's it for coffee. I am done with coffee because I cannot drink it black. I cannot not have my stevia and my cinnamon. So I'm just going to have to not have coffee at all. So I quit coffee completely. And then I realized, oh, I, I miss coffee. I love having the ritual of the hot cup of coffee. I missed the caffeine. I'm going to be honest with you. And so, and also I have the ADHD brain. So caffeine actually doesn't make me hyper. It makes me more smooth. So <laughs> I'm one of those people. So I reintroduced black coffee and I choked that coffee down and held my nose for a couple of weeks. And then eventually I started to like it. So at first I considered it like, this is just going to be medicinal for me. I need to get the coffee into my body. It doesn't have to taste delicious. It's not supposed to be a flavor adventure. I can have the flavor adventure during my eating window. So I just, I put my mind to it and I did it. And now I genuinely prefer it black. I was flying um, last year cross country. And so I was you know, changing time zones and I knew I would be eating dinner really late and I knew I would be up late. And so I was like, I normally don't have caffeine after lunch, but I said, you know what? I'm going to have a cup of coffee and I'm going to use cream and sugar because my window is open and it'll be okay. I didn't even like it. I had to apologize to that cup of coffee for ruining it. And then I had them bring me black coffee. And even in my eating window, I now choose black coffee. Wow. Yeah. That's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. Well, listen, you had mentioned um, fat adapted. And for right. listeners who don't know what fat adapted is, I want to just mention that it really is a it's a met metabolic state right. where your body is once been in, once you were in ketosis long enough that your body has efficiently transitioned from burning carbs or sugar for energy to now burning fats from your right. food um, or from just your, from body, your body, right? From yeah. your stored yeah. body fat yeah. um, in reserves for energy. And so talk a little bit about how long does it take for someone to get into that fat adapted state where they are now burning that fat instead of, you know, kind of like their, their transition right. is easier. Talk about that for a second. Well, there's so many factors that come into play. So it could be something that happens very quickly for somebody, or it could be something that takes eight weeks for somebody else for that to happen. So let's, let's back up just a little bit and let's talk about the liver and our liver has glycogen stored in it. 
you know, that's you know, after you eat sugar, your body does all sorts of things. You know, not even just sugar. After you eat carbohydrates, after you eat anything that your body can get glucose out of, your body uses some of it for energy, but it stashes some away in your liver as stored glycogen. Whatever is left over, it will store it as fat, convert it into fat. And so let's think about that liver as a tank for a minute of stored glycogen. And when you first start fasting on day one, let's assume you've been eating the standard American diet up to that point. You've just been eating, you know, mixed meals, carbs, proteins, fats, your liver glycogen is going to be full. Your storage tank is full. So on that first day of fasting, you're not eating later. You're going to eat later, but during the fast, you're not eating. Your body is going to empty out stored liver glycogen to provide fuel for you. It'll give fuel to your brain. It'll give you some energy during the day. So your tank goes down a little bit. Then you eat. You put some back in. Then the next day, your tank goes down some more during the fast. Then the next day, you put some more back in. So you're not running on fat yet. You're still not fat adapted. So however long it takes your body to deplete that stored glycogen, once you get to a certain level of 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 depletion, then your body's like, okay, we got to find some, some more fuel, especially for your brain. Cause your brain needs, your brain really likes to run on glucose if that's what you're putting in. But once that liver glycogen is low enough, there's not enough glucose to fuel your brain happily. Now that's when you might have some really difficult transition time. You might feel foggy and lethargic. This may happen for you around week two. It might be week five. It might be week six. It just depends. It depends a lot on what you're putting back in during your eating window and also how quickly you're burning through that stored liver glycogen. Once you get to the other side of this, then your body can start getting into the stored fat and it's going to turn your stored fat into ketones and your brain loves ketones. Once you make that transition, the fasting becomes easier. Your brain is not as foggy. You have mental clarity and then you can, you can know that you're fat adapted. Now, could you get there sooner? Sure. You know, doing slightly longer fast could get you there sooner. Also, if someone is doing, you know, eating lower carb, you're going to be putting less into your glycogen stores every day. So you may become fat adapted more quickly. For me, when I, um, in 2014, made the transition back into intermittent fasting, I had actually been doing the keto diet for the whole summer of 2014. And based on what I know now, after having my DNA analyzed, I didn't, I didn't lose any weight on the keto diet, and I know why now. My genetics don't go very well with, um, with the keto diet. I need more carbs in my diet to feel good. I didn't lose any weight on keto, but I was certainly fat adapted. I was not running on glucose because I wasn't putting any in. So as soon as I switched over from the keto diet to intermittent fasting, I added carbs back in, and I immediately started losing weight. I think I was already fat adapted from the keto diet. So even if the keto diet is not a way for you to lose weight, if it's not something you feel great doing, you don't think it's a long-term lifestyle, it still could be a great way for you to adapt to, to fat burning. And so you're not burning fat from your body. You know, I wasn't, I didn't lose any fat at all during the keto diet. Um, but I was, a, I was fat adapted from it. So I was in ketosis from the fat that I was eating. And then when I switched to intermittent fasting, my body was able to finally tap into my fat stores. And I added the carbs back and I never looked back and I felt great. So that's, that's just a way someone might want to transition when they're starting off. You guys, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know I've been talking about Masszymes, which is a digestive enzyme from Bioptimizers. And I want you to know that 
here's the thing. For me, having a digestive enzyme is a game changer because one of the biggest things that happens to me is I get really tired after my meal if I don't do it, and I have a problem with nutrient absorption. So if you could be eating the cleanest diet ever, but if you're not absorbing it, that's an issue. So this month, they're doing a really great special, and you're going to get a free bottle of the digestive enzymes from Bioptimizers. And so all you have to do is pay a nominal shipping fee. That's it. No other strings attached. It's the best thing ever. So get your free bottle of digestive enzymes. It's called Masszymes. Go to masszymes.com slash wasteawayfree and use the coupon code wasteaway10. That's it. So masszymes.com slash wasteawayfree. Use the coupon wasteaway10. It's awesome. So let's talk about, you know, everyone kind of has this this whole craze of like the ghee and the brain octane oil and the, um, you know, MCT oils and, you know, adding some proteins in and kind of making that coffee in the morning is is a big rage. And I think that people have really seen that sometimes they aren't losing weight and they're looking at, look at all the calories that they're eating. Like if you think about, you know, even two teaspoons of um, MCT oil, two teaspoons of ghee, two teaspoons of all these things, it, you know, somebody could be having a, a coffee that's like 500 calories in the morning. Right. And then they're wondering, you know, hey, why am I not, not losing weight. Talk about that for just a second. Well, even though we know it's so much more complicated than calories in, calories out, energy does matter. If you put a lot of energy in, your body is not going to take any of your stored energy out. It just, you know, it doesn't make any it's sense. It's going to use that. Yeah. yeah, it's going to use the energy you put into it, right? So there is no, you know, freebie. We've tried really hard to find those freebies. I know I did. You know, what's that magical food that we can have as much of as we want and magically also lose weight? It doesn't exist. There is no anything, whether it's fat or carbs or protein or whatever, there's no magical fuel you can put in your body that is not going to provide fuel for your body. <laughs> and, and if you're providing fuel for your body, you won't need to burn any. I mean, it's just, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, we were sold the whole idea of this, you know, fabulous fat-filled coffee that it was going to, you know, raise our metabolic rate to the degree that it, it was like burning more than we put in. But that's just not really how the math works. Mm, yeah, it, it, like you know, yes, yes, it is true that MCT oil will raise your metabolic rate, but it won't raise it enough to deal with the amount of, energy you just took in. I mean, eating food raises your metabolic rate. Having a meal raises your metabolic rate. We've, we've heard that all, all the time. You know, eat six small meals a day. It raises your metabolic rate. But it doesn't raise it enough to counteract the amount of food that you just ate. That's the funny part. The math does not, does not equal. So, <laughs> yeah. You're not going to, you know, Dr. Fung says it well. He's like, the whole idea of putting, you know, eating more to lose weight does not, doesn't make any sense. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm actually, you're, you were an elementary school teacher. Right. I was a math teacher, so I had my degree in mathematics and taught uh, high school math, taught, you know, algebra, calculus, all of that. Um, so, yeah, the math just doesn't work. <laughs> it does not. One plus one does not equal negative two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, let's switch gears and let's talk about the eating window. I'd like okay. you to share with people what your eating window was before, what it is now, and how do people kind of find their sweet spot of what their eating window is? Because that's another one of the questions I feel like comes along on the podcast all the time. Like, well, what do you think is the best eating window to lose the you know, most amount of weight? That's a great question. So if we look to the science, you know, there's a, a research study that, that I talk about um, where they found that fat burning really ramps up between hours 18 and 24 of a fast. So always keep that in the back of your mind. You know, fat burning ramping up between hours 18 and 24 of a fast. So if you think about that, you can see that somewhere in between there might be a good sweet spot for fat loss, which is why if you backtrack a little bit and think about a very popular eating window that a lot of people like to try, 16-8, that doesn't work for fat loss for a lot of people because by the time you get to hour 16 of your fast, your body is just going to be starting to think about really tapping into your fat stores and then boop, you've just eaten again. <laughs> so 16-8 may just be a maintenance window for a lot of people. My husband does 16-8 just for the health benefits. He never needed to lose any weight. So we hear a lot in our Facebook groups. People will start off and they'll be like, I've been doing 16-8 for three months and I haven't lost any weight or I've gained weight. And then we have to explain why. Because out there in the media, you know, a lot of news stories talk about 16-8 and, and that's where you're going to find your weight loss. But in practice, we don't find that to be true, especially for women, especially as we're older, especially if we've dieted a lot. For me, 19-5 was a great weight loss approach. And I really had to think about it as you know, not having five hours to eat nonstop. And I really had to shift my thinking from window open, eating, 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 now window is closed. I had to learn that just because my window is open, that doesn't mean that I, I need to eat throughout it. And I definitely don't need to eat more food than my body needs. So I tend to structure my five-hour eating window with, I'll start with a snack and then later I'll have a meal. And then maybe a little something, you might have a few dates, you know, great, great little dessert and close my window and then I'm finished. So 19.5 overall. Now I don't time it. I don't count it strictly, you know, last night, or I think yesterday I had a six hour window where the day before I had a three hour window and it just depends on how busy I am and what I'm doing. I'm also not trying to lose any more weight because I'm in my, in my goal range. And so I just really respond to events that are happening and plus my changing hunger from day to day. But for someone who's interested in the weight loss, you know, honestly, you don't want to start right with something like, you know, 24 with a four hour eating window. That's going to be too ambitious for day one. You might want to start with 16, eight, just to your body adjust to fasting. That would just be, you know, skipping breakfast. Don't expect fat loss to happen at first though. And then as your body gets used to the fasting, you can gradually shorten that eating window to find what feels right to you. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, the shorter, the better. Because, you know, some people are like, well, I'm just going to do 23-1 because a one-hour eating window, I've just really got to be burning fat for 23 hours, one-hour window, boom, done. That should be the best. Well, not necessarily because our bodies can adapt to anything that is too much the same day in and day out. 
So if you're having a really short eating window every single day, you're going to be really eating, you know, a, a smaller amount of food. And so even though intermittent fasting is protective of our metabolic rate, you can still adapt if you are keeping it too consistent and too low day in and day out. So switch it up. Maybe one day you'll be 23-1 and the next day you'll be, you know, 18-6 and make it fit your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, the burnfatnotsugar.com, the guy Ted Naiman in the chart, right. I think you're talking about, I, I actually got his permission to write, to put his chart yes. in my book because I kind of, I really agree with that. I think he's really spot on that that 18 to 24 hours is really that sweet spot. Yeah, that came right out of a research study. It came out of a scientific journal and that the actual, the quotes that are on that chart are the quotes out of the scientific study. Um, and that's what they found, 18 to 24. So if you're doing 16-8 and you're not experiencing fat loss, then, you know, 16-8 might be your maintenance window. You've got to figure out what, what your goals are and then develop a program that will help you meet them. Yeah, and I'll read you a couple of the, the things okay. that he put on there. But he says, of the total increase in lipid kinetics, 60% yes. occurred between 12 and 24 hours of fasting. The greatest interval change occurred between 18 to 24 hours of fasting. Yep. And that's that, you know, the curve, like you're burning fat, you're burning fat, but then you're burning fat, right? And then it has that, that like you're on a roller coaster going up that steep hill, you know, because the rate of fat burning increases. Yeah. And, and I love that because the thing is, I would say a lot of women have emailed in on the podcast and said things like, my husband has done the, you know, he eats in an eight hour window and he's losing weight like right. crazy. And meanwhile, I'm not. Right. Um, but can you talk about that? Have you seen a difference between men and women in kind of your Facebook groups and stuff like that where the men are doing great on the eight hour, but the women kind of need to do less than six in order to really kind of make an impact? It is. It's true. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, men have more muscle. And so just in general tend to have a, a higher resting metabolic rate because of their greater muscle mass. So they just burn, <laughs> burn it right off. Of course, it isn't true for all men. Some men do need to have a shorter window to see the weight loss that they're looking for. Um, a lot of women, especially if they've been long-term dieters, they may not even see the, re the results for weight loss that they're looking for with the daily eating window approach. A lot of women need to do an up and down day approach alternate daily fasting. You've probably heard of 5-2. That would be, you know, the, we think of them as up and down days. You know, up days are normal eating, whereas the down days are either a full fast for 36 to 42 hours or you're having that, you know, small 500 calorie meal, which is not a full fast, but it's still, you're going to um, really be able to burn fat on that day. I have a chapter on this in Delay, Don't Deny, and I really go into a lot more detail with it in the new book coming out in June of 2020, Fast, Feast, Repeat. Um, you know, so many people just love the daily eating window approach, but if you've been a long-term dieter, like I said, especially women, because we've tried so many things over the years, we really may have slowed our metabolic rate. And so we're going to need that little bit more boost, that little more fasting time, that 36 hour fast to really get, you know, into the fat burning state. And then we have the up day the next day. And the key is on the up day, you do not want to 
low calorie diet because that day is you're going to eat more. That's protective of your metabolic rate. It actually boosts your metabolism. We have a lot of research on what the science calls overfeeding, where you're eating more food that actually does boost your metabolic rate. Of course, over overeating every single day would not be a great weight loss strategy, <laughs> but with the alternate daily fasting or the up and the down day approach, you lose weight on the down day and then you boost yourself, your metabolism on the up day. But over time, it, it evens out so that you're, you're burning more than you're taking in. So that is our goal. But that's a strategy a lot of women find works well for them. And it sounds so very scary because they're like, what? I can't imagine going, you know, 36 to 42 hours without food at all. But it's really, once you get past that transition point in your fast, where you're, you know, burning fat for fuel, it actually is a lot easier than it sounds. A lot of the whole not eating is, is mental instead of physical. It's, it's so much easier than you think. And then on the up day, you have a more relaxed day. So for anyone who's trying the eating window approach and they're you know, stuck, it may not be a weight loss window for you right now. Try the up down day approach, alternate daily fasting. Four three is the one that worked really well for me. When I tried it, I had three down days a week and four up days. Um, I liked the predictability of that. You know, I could always have the same days as my down days versus the actual alternate daily fasting where it's literally every other day. But don't be afraid of it. It's something to try and get it can get you off of the, the stuck <laughs> where you're, you know, where you're stuck. And then a lot of people find that then they can go back to the daily eating window approach um, for long term maintenance. Well, let's talk about OMAD or one okay. meal a day. And right. obviously, for those who don't know, it's really where you're just eating one meal a day, really mostly a 23 hour of fasting and leaving just one hour a day to eat and drink and consume calories. So talk about tips like what is your opinion of OMAD? Do you love it? Any tips to kind of get people where they say, look, I'm currently on a six hour or an eight hour eating window. Any tips to, for me to get to that OMAD and what are the benefits? Well, it might surprise you to hear that I don't consider one meal a day to be the equivalent of 23-1. You know, think about it like this. And here's what's really funny. My one meal a day Facebook group started in 2015. We were the only one meal a day group. We were the first, the only people talking about one meal a day intermittent fasting. And then all of a sudden it's like exploded and it's this whole thing. And now people are like defining it in this really structured way, like you said, with 23-1. And we, we've been doing this since 2015 in our group and we've never been 23-1 is one meal a day. I mean, it can be, mm -hmm. but I want you to think about one meal a day in, in the paradigm of a traditional, how many meals we eat in a day. So if you ask a kid, how many meals does a person eat in a day? What would a kid say? Three. Three, right? We have breakfast, we have lunch, we have dinner. Okay. So if you're following the Jen Stevens, delay, don't deny, one meal a day, your idea, you're going to choose one of those meals. You're not, like for me, it's dinner. I eat dinner every night. I do not eat breakfast at a traditional breakfast time. I do not eat lunch at a traditional lunch time. I eat dinner at a traditional dinner time. So my eating window is structured around dinner. But it's, it's not only one meal a day. It's only having one actual meal a day, if that makes sense. So yes. you, you can also think of it as like, fine dining or going to a restaurant where you have an appetizer and then a salad and then you have your meal and then you have your dessert. That would still just be one 
meal. Now, if you're at a, at a fine dining restaurant, I mean, it could take you three hours, four hours, yeah, maybe not four hours, but you know what I'm saying. It's still one meal of food just spread out over time. So that's the way I think of my, my I'm only having one actual meal a day. I might open my window at 3.30 with cheese and crackers. Is cheese and crackers at 3.30 lunch? Not to me. It's not even a meal. It's, it's a snack. Consider it your appetizer. Then later, I might have a glass of wine while I'm preparing dinner. Then I have my dinner. There was my meal. And then a couple hours later or an hour later, I might have a little something to close my window. I didn't have breakfast. I didn't have lunch. I had one actual meal a day. So now we had a big argument about this on the intermittent fasting podcast. My co-host does not define it the same way I do, (laughs) but really though, it's just semantics. As I mentioned earlier, I would not recommend long, long term 23, one day in, day out, just because your body can adapt to that. And I think that we are meant to be a little more responsive to our, our changing needs from day to day. I also would not be able to cram enough food for my body into one hour. It would, it would not feel good to me to try to cram it all in. That would not be a lifestyle. So, you know, I'm less interested in what we call it and more interested in finding a way that works for you. 23-1 would not work for me long term. And I also don't think it is really something that I would recommend people do long term. But if you want to think about, you know, you're having one actual meal a day, whether it's structured around the breakfast time, the lunch time, or the dinner time, you know, that, that would be what I would consider having one meal a day. So I, I love that. Let me tell you, so, you know, as you know, I've interviewed over a thousand women and I've asked them literally, you know, what do you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And I say to them, do you, you know, what do you do? And almost all of them, first of all, none of them say they do intermittent fasting because they've never been on a diet, they've never done that. But I will tell you the majority of the people that I interview, one of the girls said, you know, I basically eat one meal and I kind of have a tasting. That's what she said. And that, if you look at these women, because I literally like write down, what do they eat? What do they do? And that's what got, caused me to write the book. And I'm thinking to myself, see, all these people are doing intermittent fasting, but they don't call it intermittent right. fasting. That's just what they do. They eat one yeah. meal. And then if they get hungry again, you know, they have a little bit of a tasting. And so, yeah, my neighbor across the street, we had, we just moved into this house um, over the summer, the end of the summer. And they had like a a welcome to the neighborhood party. And we were talking about, you know, what do I do? And I was talking about my books and intermittent fasting and the, the wife always thin. Mm -hmm. I think she's probably in her, in her forties and she very thin, always has been, never has dieted. She's like, Oh, you know, I don't ever eat till at least two. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I know. And it's like, that, that's what I'm saying, but she doesn't know it. And no, that's like, I kind of do that. I didn't even know. Yeah. I didn't even know. I, yeah, exactly. And that's what I hear over and over and over. Our people are like, you know, grandma ate this way and she would drink her black coffee and then have her one little meal. And then that was it for the day. And she lived to be 105. I mean, we hear that all the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Well, great. Well, it's been amazing having you on the show. Any other last minute tips where you could say, you know, if I could give listeners these last few tips that this really kind of can take them to the next level, any advice that you can give them? 
Yeah, and that would be don't start and then expect you're going to have, you know, supermarket tabloid headline weight loss. You know, you're not going to drop 100 pounds by summer. You're not going to lose three dress sizes by the next holiday. That's not going to happen. Intermittent fasting is different from anything you've tried before. And, you know, if you've ever tried a diet, and intermittent fasting is not a diet. It's a pattern of eating. It's when you eat. A diet is what you eat. Intermittent fasting is when you eat. But when you've tried a diet in the past, you probably had really fast initial results, lost a whole lot of weight really fast, then it slowed down, then you stopped losing, and then you probably started to slowly regain or you just gave up. Intermittent fasting is the opposite. You might actually gain a little weight at first. I know that sounds crazy, but, um, you know, overeating is really common at first before you're fat adapted because your body is not yet tapping into your stored fat for fuel efficiently. And so you really are not getting enough energy into your body responds by saying, eat more, eat more. And then you're actually overeating at first. And they're, they're, People gain some weight and they're like, oh my gosh, intermittent fasting is not for me. This is not working. I'm gaining weight. I want to tell everyone to be patient. Yeah, you know, I would I would weigh the day before you start and then do not even get near a scale for at least a month. Let your body adjust. When you feel like your body is adjusting, then you can start considering whether you're losing weight. And I would um, encourage you to have multiple ways of measuring progress. And the only thing that matters with weight is your overall trend, not the fluctuations. So don't expect intermittent fasting to be this, you know, miraculous you know, drop three dress sizes by next Tuesday. That's not what it is. But unlike those diets that you did before, intermittent fasting, slow and steady. It'll get you there eventually. Be patient, tweak. And then you're not going to have to keep searching for new diets. And maintenance is just going to be easy for the rest of your life. Oh, well, since you brought that up, then I do want to ask you one more question. Okay. This is such a great one because <laughs> the same thing happened to me. So when I did started intermittent fasting, I lost nothing for right. three weeks. On the third week, I think it was like a Friday, I lost six pounds on after week three. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, am I going to lose six pounds in one week? So talk a little bit about the whoosh effect. And okay. And what that is and how that can play a, such a huge impact when someone's not seeing the scale move. That's a really great question. And the science of the whoosh effect is, is debatable and it's up in the air as to what is actually happening. But something is 100% happening in your body related to water balance. Now, there's a theory. Now, you know, the more I've researched into this, I'm not really certain this is what's happening. But there's a theory that as your body empties out fat from your fat cells, that it replaces that with water. I've never been able to find actual science that backs it up. It's just a theory. Um, but we do know that as you're losing fat, the body does tend to retain water. Where is that water? I have a hunch that it might be in the lymphatic system because our lymphatic system is like the body's sewer. I know that sounds <laughs> sounds a little gross, but it's it's like where our body deals with waste. And our lymphatic system, you know, the it, it kind of just keeps all that, you know, the whatever your body's releasing and the the stored water and the retained water. And then when you all of a sudden have that whoosh, whoosh, your body is releasing all that water at once. So where was the water being stored? Was it in your fat cells? I'm not so sure. Was it in your lymphatic system? That's my, my, my guess. Um, although I don't have any hard scientific data 
to show you that. But the whoosh effect is real, and it's definitely something with water balance that happens as people are losing fat. So it'll be like, you're like steady, 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 steady. You may even see a little gain, and that's the water balance. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Yeah, I love that name, the whoosh effect, because it's just like, it. it's such a whoosh. great whoosh, and then the weight comes off. And here's what's funny. People will find that you'll have the whoosh effect. Sometimes it'll be after a day where you overdid the eating. You have like a big eating yes. day, and suddenly then the next day you'll have a whoosh. And that has to do with, think about this scientifically, we know that it takes a lot of water in your digestive system to process a lot of food. So if you eat a larger volume of food than normal, your body's going to need more water to process that food. So it's going to pull that water from wherever it was hanging out, whether it was in your fat cells or your lymphatic system, and then it's processing the food and then whoosh. So that's why people will you know, have that mystery of having, you know, a splurge day where they ate more than they, they're used to. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, it's because the, the body pulled that water in to process the food and then released it all at once. Awesome. Well, Jen Stevens, it's always a blast talking to well, you. Thank you. So much fun. Tell listeners where they can find you and follow okay. you. All right. Well, I have a website, jenstevens.com. That's G-I-N, Stevens with a P-H.com. Links there to, um, to my books. And I have two podcasts. If you're interested in hearing stories from intermittent fasters, look for Intermittent Fasting Stories. And those are released every Thursday. If you um, are more interested in the science and the and a question answer approach where we answer listener questions, then you want the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. And I co-host that with Melanie Avalon. Look for my And book. I'm going to be on the, uh, the, the intermittent fasting stories one soon. Awesome. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to have you on there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. That will be fun. And um, look for my book, Delay, Don't Deny. It's only available at paperback, only on Amazon, but the ebook is everywhere. And my new book available for pre-order is going to literally be everywhere, not just Amazon, Fast, Feast, Repeat. Um, available for pre-order coming out June of 2020. Awesome. Well, you are making such a huge impact on so many people's lives and we just really appreciate you being on here today. And I was happy to be here. Yes. And stay tuned for the next episode to learn more on fasting. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.